Welcome into this final four edition of a quick timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're like me and my team, the offseason is officially here, which means I start putting together what I want my players to work on skill wise this offseason. As you prepare your workouts and particularly your shooting workouts this offseason, let me encourage you to head over to drdishbasketball.com. I've put together a series of videos of my favorite shooting machine workouts. Whether you're running a small group workout or even a solo workout, there are drills there to help your players improve this offseason. Simply visit drdishbasketball.com and click on blog from the drop-down menu to start planning your next workout. It's great to have with us today the voice of Duke basketball play-by-play man, David Shoemate. David, thanks so much for squeezing us in this busy Final Four week. No problem at all. It's great to still be playing. Thanks for having me on. So back in June when Coach K announced that he would be retiring at the end of the season. I, I remember talk almost immediately starting things like, you know, how cool would it be for him to have a chance maybe to make a run in the tournament and go to the final four, maybe even win his last game. But, you know, you fast forward it. That's a real possibility now. Like, how crazy is that? No, it's I mean, in some respects, it's surreal. And, and there's layers to it. Like you said, there's the obvious storyline of it being his final season and you want to call it a fairy tale or storybook or, or whatever with it being his 42nd season, 13th final floor, looking for a sixth national championship. Um, but th- there's also been kind of the craziness of the season. And it's been in, in some respects, a really long year. When you think about the way it started, all the emotion at MSG with the first game of the season, uh, his last game in a building that's been so much to him where he actually played a, a long, long time ago. Um, as a player when he was at Army. And then you go through that weird part of the year where, you know, COVID flares back up again across the country and you kind of get into survival mode just trying to play games. And it was interesting to watch him and his staff try to navigate that with this very young team. And then clearly some adversity late in the year with the loss uh, to North Carolina to close out the regular season at home, a double-digit loss in the ACC tournament championship game to Virginia Tech. And in some ways, that adversity was maybe what this team needed to, to refocus them. It's easy to see now two weeks on and what they've done in the NCAA tournament, but it's been a different team in their preparation and, and the way they talk in their preparation and the way they go, they go about their business the last two weeks has been really cool to see them grow up uh, so quick. When did you think, man, th- this <laughs> team has a chance to do something special? You knew it when they beat Kentucky and Gonzaga in November. I mean, I think you could see the ability there. The, the talent was obvious. And then it was just a matter of, were they going to build upon that? Were they going to take a step backwards? And I think there's been some of both, right? Steps forward, steps backwards over the course of the season. But that game in particular to the length of Mark Williams, I remember really caused problems for Chet Holm, Grimmie, Andrew, Timmy. Um, Dan Caro had a stretch in the first half where he was just unbelievable and took over. And people forget in that game, and the Kentucky game as well, he battled through some cramps. Uh, so he wasn't there for a, a chunk of the second half. And Jeremy Roach made a big layup late, and he's obviously come on here in the NCAA tournament. And Wendell Moore Jr. was kind of uh, one of the guys that was a primary ball handler way back then in November. It doesn't do as much of that now. So you saw the pieces, and, and how's it going to come together? And, and as you know, when you get into the NCAA tournament, a lot of it becomes about matchups and, and how do you fit with the opposition. And, and, you know, to me, it's been really interesting to see this team mature on the offensive end of the floor. And what I mean by that is when they had losses earlier in the year, whether it be, you know, to Florida state on the road or to Miami at home, there was a pretty consistent theme where they gave up a bunch of offensive rebounds and they turned it over quite a bit. 
um, and taking on two outstanding, different, but really good defensive teams this past weekend in San Francisco and Texas Tech and Arkansas. I know there were 15 turnovers in the West Regional uh, Championship game, but some of those were late uh, when the game had already been decided. They did a really good job taking care of the basketball out West, and I think that kind of shows the growth of this team and, and the way they were able to maneuver against two of the elite defenses in the tournament and put up 78 points in each of those games when teams really hadn't been able to score against Texas Tech at all, and, and Gonzaga was largely shut down by Arkansas. The growth of the team as a whole – but in particular, the evolution of Paulo Bencaro. What have you seen from him? I know he came in with a lot of a, a lot of hype and has lived up to it. But I do feel like his game has evolved over the past six months. Do you feel that? For sure. And the thing that I I noticed because obviously you get a chance to to go to practice a lot and and see Mike Shishovsky work. And one of the things he talks about over the years a lot. You see the raw skills and you see what guys do, but he talks to the team about talking to each other while you're on the floor, whether you're playing defense or whether you're playing offense and how much better they play when they talk. Um, and over the course of the last month or two, Paulo has grown into not just a leader by the way he plays, which I think he's been throughout the whole season, but he's been one of the more vocal guys on the court, calling out things in the scouting report, giving instructions to individual players. It wasn't something he did earlier in the year. He's done a lot the last couple of weeks in practice. And Wendell Moore Jr. certainly a leader of this team, along with Joey Baker, the two captains. But Paulo ha has taken his game and combined it with the leadership that he's forced others to be better. Because, as you know, there, there's a difference in accountability when it comes to your teammates than when it comes from coaches. And it's been really, really fascinating to watch him find his voice on a practice court here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, you mentioned Wendell Moore. You know, historically, the, those Duke championship teams have always had that upperclassman leader who just kind of he does whatever he needs to on either end of the floor to help the team win. Wendell Moore has become that guy, hasn't he? There's no question. And, um, you know, it's interesting to that end. Mike Krzyzewski talked in, in San Francisco about how with these younger teams, you almost don't want them to have adversity because they only have one year. When you have three and four year teams, some of that adversity kind of hardens you. Uh, he talked about John Shire struggles in his freshman year, obviously ultimately winning a championship. Um, in 2010, he and Nolan Smith and others. But this team is a little bit different in that respect because Wendell Moore Jr.'s had that adversity. Uh, Joey Baker's had that adversity. Mark Williams, Jeremy Roach, uh, different flavors, right? You know, last year was not a great season for Duke. Uh, didn't qualify for the NCAA tournament. A couple of years ago, Duke seemed poised for a really deep run, playing really well late in the year. And then, of course, the pandemic hits and everything gets shut down. So Wendell Moore Jr. has been working for three years for this moment. Um, and I think when you don't have a chance to do something, you savor it a little bit more. And, and he's spoken quite openly about that the last few weeks, about how he's been waiting for this opportunity and soaking it in. And you see that in his play. So I, the leadership, for sure, he's definitely one of the more poised guys on this team. The, the free throw numbers for him are simply incredible. I think he's made something like 30 of his last 31 at the line. That's the kind of guy you want late in the game to step up. Um, and make shots at the charity stripe. But I think some of that's because he's been hardened a little bit by what's happened the last couple of years with the pandemic and, and then with last year's season. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. 
Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. Uh, another one of the new guys this year, AJ Griffin, you know, he had that early season knee injury. And so it took us a while before we even saw him. And I was surprised by this when I looked it up. He didn't crack the starting lineup until January. And I know he was playing like important minutes off the bench. So what has he meant to this group? Well, and you also have to factor in with AJ, it wasn't just a preseason injury. He dealt with some injuries in high school. So it had been a while since he'd played, you know, super high level basketball and he was working his way into that. And, and some of that was confidence, not just in your physical abilities because of the injuries you're dealing with, but the psychological part of the game. And, and this is a kid that is so deeply rooted in his faith and, and what that brings to him. And he's a guy that the team has kind of rallied around. He started a Bible study and all the guys on the team have, have started to take a part of that largely because of him and his infectious personality and, and just a kid you want to root for. And to see him grow into his own has been kind of interesting. He's so shy and kind. From a Duke perspective, you almost wish at times he'd shoot it a little bit more because he's such an effective shooter and he's got such a pure jump shot. I think he's the best pure shooter on the team, nearly 50% from three. And, you know, he's that guy. I think I'd put Trevor Keels in this camp as well. When they're on, Duke gets scary very quickly because now you've got to deal with these guys out on the wing or Trevor on a drive, and you've still got all sorts of matchup problems with Bancaro at the four and then the length of Mark Williams. A.J. Griffin, it's been really fun to see him evolve, and, and he's a guy who can explode at any given time. I mean, he went seven of nine in the regional championship game. A lot of people, rightfully so, are talking about Bancaro and Williams. Griffin was the leading scorer in that game with 18, and that kind of tells you about the depth of this team each of those guys that you've mentioned you know we haven't even talked a lot about keels and, and and mark williams but for this weekend in particular that first game against north carolina well, who do you who do you feel is like the x factor or the x factors for that game yeah i mean when you start to look at matchups you, you it's interesting the way this thing has gone the first time um when the blue devils won in chapel hill north carolina chose to put leaky black who is in my view, their best defender on Bancaro in that matchup. And A.J. Griffin had a monster game went for 20-plus. Well, in the game in Cameron, they decided to put Leaky Black on A.J. Griffin. And I think it threw a curveball to the Blue Devils and decided to kind of let Bancaro go in and have his way and try to take A.J. Griffin out of the game. So there are different matchups that I think are interesting to see how things look defensively. I, I think the things that are going to determine the, the contours of this game, and they always determine uh, when these two get together, these two teams are not particularly deep. Um, so I don't know if I'd go like this matchup versus this matchup because you can move the two chess pieces around. But I do think it's important which team can get in foul trouble, um, you know, who's rim protector, so to speak, whether that's uh, Williams from the Duke perspective um, or if you look over and see Baycott from North Carolina's perspective, if someone gets into foul trouble early, well, that changes how you can attack things uh, at the offensive end when, when you take those chess pieces out. And then the curveball is, is Jeremy Roach because Jeremy Roach, this is not the Jeremy Roach that played in the first two games of the regular season. His ability to get into the paint, create for others, find his own looks in and around the rim, uh, I think could potentially be the wild card in this one. He's playing at a different level, and that's not to take anything away from North Carolina. They're obviously playing very well in the NSA tournament as well. And, and you look at what I think it was Caleb Love that went for 30 in the game against UCLA. So, you know, you, you have those two wild cards on the perimeter, and everyone talks about the cliche, right, is guard play is what carries you in the NSA tournament. So. Jeremy Roach might end up being that guy for Duke. 
sentence for me. Duke will win the championship if they play defense in New Orleans. I mean, I think it, for as much as everyone likes to talk about how good this team is offensively, and they are, I mean, with all the potential first round draft picks and all the points over 80 a game. When Duke locks in defensively, that's what makes their offense go. Um, at times when the offense is stalled, it's been because uh, they're not getting stops at the defensive end. And, and we saw uh, Mike Krzyzewski go off script and go zone a couple times in the second half. It was effective against Texas Tech and Arkansas. Who knows what you'll see um, in the Final Four and this weekend in New Orleans. But I think the ability to defend, particularly the ability to defend around the perimeter uh, in the game against North Carolina team, obviously, that can shoot it very well from three with Manic and company. I think the defense will be the key if Duke is able to win the national title. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask one Coach K question. Do, sure. do you have anything, you know, story or something, maybe from a presser or even an interview that you've done from this season that that's significant or memorable? It's a good question. I've, I've been asked a lot, as you'd imagine, about Coach. A lot of it in a bigger context than just this individual season. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm fortunate. I get to spend a lot of time around him doing we do – uh, daily interviews that I talk to him and, and get a chance to go um, and visit with him before every game is when we do our pregame conversation for the radio about 90 minutes out from tip. And I'm trying to think about stuff that stands out. I mean, he's got so many stories and there's cool moments and he's got such a great sense of humor where he can jab you. But every now and then he'll surprise you with something that you haven't heard before. At least I hadn't heard before. And it's still historic and legendary. We're out in San Francisco practicing um, at the home of the Dons, the, the, the local college team, we're just out there practicing a couple of days before the games. And he walks over and he's talking about the area and how he played out there when he was in the army and how he had uh, got onto this all-star team, essentially among military personnel and, and toured the world and, and played in different games and how he was an officer on a base. And originally, I think it was in Fort Carson, he was saying that he wasn't originally on the team and Fort Carson's team was struggling and one of the generals in the area called and said, why isn't he playing? And the commanding officer said, well, I don't have enlisted folks fraternizing with officers. And he said, well, he won't be fraternizing with them. He'll be playing and he'll be coaching. And he said that was kind of the start of him getting into coaching. So I worked with a guy for five years and, and then, you know, he just drops that gem and you're in San Francisco. So wherever you are, he's got a connection. He's got a story. It's a walking, living piece of basketball history um, is the best way I can describe it. Awesome stuff. That's Blue Devil IMG Sports Network's David Shoemate. Dave, thanks so much for making some time for us tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks, man.